0: Before we get into the message this morning, let's go ahead and take our offering right now. There's four ways that you can give to the church today. You can go to murrayhills.com forward slash give. You can download the Simple Give app to your phone and search for Murray Hills Church. You can text an amount to the number on the screen, 931-218-6063, or you can mail a check to 101 Unity Drive in Columbia. So if you'll take just a few seconds to give, I wanna take just a few seconds to say thank you for last week's giving. Last week, I encouraged you to make adjustments to your giving, especially if your income has been reduced or paused in some way due to the COVID-19 crisis. Uh, That's not only the right thing to do, that's good stewardship on your part. Uh, The way a tithe works, in my mind, the way a tithe works is it's a percentage of your income. It's 10% of your income that gets given to the church. So that means if your income goes up, then the tithe goes up. If your income goes down, then the tithe goes down. So if you're a percentage giver to Murray Hills, do not hesitate to make adjustments. Uh, Then I encourage those of you who haven't had any changes to your income to go ahead and give. And that's what I wanted to say thank you for. So many of you took us up on that opportunity last Sunday, and it was just an incredible offering that we received uh, last Sunday. Our online giving doubled and several people mailed in checks throughout the week. And that was such a blessing to this church as we look how we're gonna navigate things in this new reality that we're all living in, but also as we start to put relief plans together, not only for our community, but for our church family. And I'm gonna email you today about some of those relief plans. So if you are not on our email list, you need to go ahead and subscribe to that. Go to murrayhills.com forward slash subscribe. The very first subscription option on that website is the email that I'll send you. So go ahead and put your email in there, make sure you're subscribed, and I'll be sending some specific relief efforts that we're looking at as a church to help our church family get through this situation. So for the message, I've been torn a little bit about what I I should talk about today. So the last three weeks, we've talked about the coronavirus. We've talked about do not fear, do not worry, uh, how to restore calm. And that situation is still swirling around us. That storm is still raging. In some ways, it's much worse than it was uh, just a week or two ago. And they keep telling us it's going to get worse. And so part of me really wants to talk about that because we need to talk about that. But it's also Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday is the beginning of Holy Week. And as Christians, we turn our attention and our focus to Easter and we anticipate the celebration of the resurrection together. And Easter is not canceled. We will not have a traditional Easter service in the way that we normally do, but Easter will still happen and we will still celebrate the resurrection next Sunday. So part of me wants to talk about Easter and resurrection. So what I decided to do was talk about both. And I'm going to do it by going to a story that's one of my favorite stories in the gospel. It's in John chapter 11. And it's the story of the resurrection of Lazarus. And all I wanted to do today for our message was simply share this story together, and I've got a few observations that I'll make along the way. So if you've got a Bible with you, go find the 11th chapter of John, we're going to start reading in verse 1. Okay. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick, and he was from Bethany, the village of Mary and his sister Martha. Now, this Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord's feet and and wiped it with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now already in this story, early on, there's indications that Jesus is very close to the people involved here. Uh, Mary and Martha have already made appearances. He's already spent time in their home. Uh, Lazarus is described as the one you love. And Mary's act of pouring perfume on his feet and wiping it with her hair was so well known in the early church at the time that John identifies her in that way. So these folks are very close friends of Jesus. And so you think that as soon as they let Jesus know the one you love is sick, Jesus is going to drop everything and come to Bethany. That's certainly what they have got to be thinking as they send word to Him. But here's what happens. Verse 4, when Jesus heard this, He said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when He heard that Lazarus was sick, He stayed where He was for two more days And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Now, his actions are already confusing because we've already established that Jesus loves Lazarus and he loves Martha and he loves Mary. And it says right there in verse 6, when he heard that he was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Why did he stay where he was? Why didn't Jesus immediately go to Lazarus? I mean, what's he doing? What's he waiting on? Why Why is he delaying? Can you imagine how that felt for Martha and Mary? Because they've sent, you know, it's probably a day's trip to where Jesus is. So they sent a servant to tell him that took a day. Jesus delays for two more days and now it's going to take him a day to travel to them. So they've got to be confused and wondering where is Jesus? Why has he not shown up? But imagine what his disciples are thinking as well. Because Jesus gives them this kind of cryptic clue that this sickness will not end in death. So the disciples are confused as well. And when Jesus suggests to them, let's go back to Judea, they object. Verse 8, Rabbi, they said, A short while ago the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? And Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble. For they have no light. He's trying to get them to to open their eyes to what he's about to do. They still don't get it. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let's go to him. And then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go so that we may die with him. So this this whole interchange and interaction here, there's confusion, fear, doubt, mixed with hope and faith and trust. And I'm going to give the disciples a free pass for not understanding what Jesus was talking about here. When Jesus said, Lazarus sleeps and I'm going to wake him up, they get a free pass for not understanding what Jesus meant. Because when people die, they usually stay dead. I get it that the disciples were not thinking resurrection. That would have been the last thing on my mind as well. But then Jesus clearly tells them, listen, he's dead and I'm going to resurrect him. And that comment still went over their head. I mean, they were more concerned with their safety and they were more concerned with the safety of Jesus. They're saying, if we go back, then we may die. But then what did they do? I love the statement of Thomas. You know, doubting Thomas, verse 16. They still went with him. Even though they had their fears and their worries and all of these reasons why they shouldn't go with Jesus, they still went with him. They didn't understand what Jesus was talking about. But they understood enough to trust him and follow him. As they did, here's what happened. Verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them on the loss of their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Now, this is the part where the story begins to inform not only our future anticipation of resurrection, but it informs our present situation as well. It's okay to be frustrated with God in the present, yet still trust Him for future deliverance. That's what Martha's doing. I want to repeat that because I want you to hear that, okay? It's okay to be frustrated with God in the present, but still trust Him for future deliverance. Look at her statement she makes to Him in verse 21. If you had been here, My brother would not have died. You can almost hear the frustration in her voice. Like if you'd have just shown up, if you'd have just came when I called you, if you'd have just come, I mean, what were you doing? Where were you? Why were you not here for us when we needed you? And so there's this, this fear and anxiety in her voice. But then the second half of the statement in verse 22, she says, But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Martha has the same desperate faith as the disciples of Jesus who traveled with him. She says the same thing that Thomas said. I don't understand what you're up to, but I understand enough to follow you and to trust you. And so that's what I'm doing. And then this next exchange, what Jesus says to her is so very powerful. Jesus said to her, Martha, your brother will rise again. And Martha said, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. Now, Did Martha understand what she was saying yes to there? When she said, I believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God coming to the world, did she understand all the implications of that statement of faith that she had made? I think maybe she did in part, but not fully. How could she have fully known what she was talking about there? Because again, the last thing on Martha's mind is resurrection. That'll be revealed later when Jesus says, show me where he's buried. And she says, oh, you don't want to see that. Because he's been dead for four days. The last thing she's thinking is that Jesus is going to resurrect her brother. When people die, they usually stay dead. So she doesn't understand fully what Jesus is talking about here. But she has faith in him. It is a faith mixed with and informed by doubt. And it's the second thing I want you to hear. Both for our future anticipation of Easter, but also for our present situation. It's okay to doubt. It's okay to to not know what God is up to. Doubt is not an indication of spiritual weakness. Doubt is how we have faith. I mean, faith comes through doubt. J.D. Greer says it this way, faith is not the absence of doubt. It is continuing to follow Jesus in the midst of doubt. Or I love how Brene Brown put it when she talks about doubt and faith. She says, faith is a place where we find the courage to believe in what we cannot see and the strength to let go of our fear of uncertainty. And I see Martha trying to do this. Well, here's what happened next. In verse 28, after she said this, she went back and she called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but he was still at the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and he saw the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked come and see lord they replied and jesus wept then the jews said see how he loved him but some of them said could not a man who've opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying do you see how this doubt and faith continues to weave throughout the story mary didn't even come out of the house martha came out of the house to see jesus mary didn't even get out of the house i don't know why but when jesus sins for her she immediately comes to him and she's got the same frustration in her voice. She's got the same confusion in her voice. She says to Jesus the same thing that her sister said. And Mary is weeping as she says this. Here's the third thing I want you to hear it's okay to weep, it's okay to mourn, it's okay to come to Jesus with your sorrow and your frustrations and your doubts and pour them out at his feet. Not only is it okay to do that, Jesus invites us to do that. You notice in the story that Jesus invited Mary. He knew that she was in the house mourning, and Jesus invited her to come to him, and she did. John eleven thirty five, 35, the shortest verse in the Bible. It's just two words. It's really one of the most powerful verses in all of Scripture. It simply says, Jesus wept. The reason it's powerful is because already twice in this story, once to his disciples and once to Martha, Jesus has told them, I'm going to resurrect Lazarus. So why would Jesus weep when he knows he's going to raise Lazarus? He knows everything's going to be okay in the end. Why would Jesus weep? Jesus weeps because the people he loves are weeping. The people he loves are worried and scared and confused and they're mourning and Jesus mourns with them. His heart breaks for them and with them. It says, verse 38, Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But, but Lord said, Martha, the the sister of the dead man, she said, by this time there's a bad odor for he's been there four days. And Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing there that they may believe that you have sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. (laughs) And the dead man came out. His hands and his feet were wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth was around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Can you see Martha's face in that moment? Can can you see the disciples' face in that moment or Mary, like when suddenly it all came together, like this this jaw-dropping moment of, of realization when all of that frustration and all of that sorrow and all the doubt and the worry and the fear, all of it just vanishes in a moment because the one who's been dead in the grave for four days, the one who could bring sight to the blind the one who could calm the wind and the waves can also resurrect the dead can you imagine i mean i just i would have loved to have been there just to see the look of martha's face and mary's face and thomas's face and peter's face as this incredible miracle unfolds before them and martha's got to be thinking back suddenly the words that jesus said to her make all kind of sense in the world i am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even though he dies, will live. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. That's the hope of Easter. That's the hope of resurrection. That's the hope in this present crisis or whatever crisis we're going through. When we face fears and worries and we are, we are anxious and we are afraid... and. That is our hope. Our hope is that in the end, resurrection is coming. In the end, the tears will dry up because resurrection is coming. That's not only the hope of Easter. That's the hope of the Christian faith. Of course, we have the benefit of hindsight Because here we live 2,000 years after this story happens and we know that this happens just six or seven days before Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. So we know that the story of the resurrection of Lazarus is a foreshadowing of a greater resurrection that is going to take place. That's the one that we'll celebrate next Sunday. We celebrate the greater resurrection because even though Lazarus was raised from the dead, it's still a temporary resurrection. We believe that Lazarus eventually died again. Jesus didn't die again. And his resurrection set us free from sin and death so that we may have the hope of eternal life. Because Jesus was resurrected from the dead, we believe that we will one day be resurrected from the dead. This is spoken all throughout Scripture, particularly in 1 Corinthians 15, but the, the passage that I found powerful this week was in 1 Thessalonians, verse 4 through 13. Here's what he says. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Because we believe that Jesus died and rose again, we respond to present crisis in a different way than those who have no hope. Here's what I want you to remember. Even though we don't completely understand resurrection, even though we don't completely understand what eternity looks like, and even though we still experience frustration and sorrow in the present, and we still have doubts and fears, we still put our trust in the God who's going to do what He said He's going to do. And here's what we remember. We remember that it's okay to be frustrated with God in the present while still trusting in Him for deliverance in the future. We believe that it's okay to have doubts and fears. We believe that it's okay to bring those doubts and fears to Jesus because that's what He invites us to do. We also believe that it's okay to trust in the unimaginable and it's okay to put our hope in the promise of the Resurrection. It's on this truth and this hope that we base our entire faith. Let's pray together. Father, the story of Lazarus is so powerful. It's powerful enough on its own, it's even more powerful when we know that just six or seven days later after this happens, Jesus Himself will, the God will roll the, t- the stone away from his tomb and he will emerge also wrapped in linens and cloths and and God will say in essence to him, take off the grave clothes and let him go. It's the hope of Easter. It's what we anticipate this entire week as we prepare and we remember on Friday the death and we remember the crucifixion and we remember on Saturday the waiting and the anticipation as the women and the disciples huddled in their closets in their upper rooms and, and worried about what was going to happen next and then we remember the Sunday when the women were on their way to the tomb to prepare the body with spices and the angel met them and said it's been rolled away. the stone has been rolled away and we remember Peter and John running to the tomb to see this thing that had happened father this week as we deal with what could be a very difficult week with the coronavirus We do it in anticipation that resurrection is coming. So give us this faith and hope as we deal with whatever comes our way through the rest of this week. It's through the name of your son, Jesus, I pray these things. Amen. Now, before you sign off, I want to give you just a few tips for getting ready for Easter. Uh, As I said, Easter's not canceled. We're still going to have an Easter celebration. We're just going to be having it scattered in our living rooms and bedrooms and not all in the same building at one time. But we'll be here at 930 in the morning, just as we always are. And we want to invite you to join us. But Easter is a special Sunday for the church. And so I got a few ideas of how you can make it a little more special for your family. One of them is going to sound a little weird, but hang with me. One of them is on Easter Sunday, get up and dress up. I know you guys have already bought your Easter dresses and your Easter shirts and your pastel pants and all that kind of stuff. Get up and dress up. Put on your Easter clothes. Make it a special Sunday even for your online church at home. Go out in the front yard and take some pictures and and share them with us. I mean, we want this. If you've got kids at the house, we want them to know, like, this is a little more This is a little special, Uh, this is a little, this Sunday's a little different than all the other Sundays because we're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. So so get dressed up and get ready. Make sure that you have communion prepared. We're gonna have a special time of communion on Easter Sunday. So we'll be putting a little bit more emphasis on communion and we'll be taking it all together rather than just kind of doing it through one of the songs. We'll be taking it all together. So make sure if you get a chance to go to the grocery store, have some elements ready. Uh, for communion, and I'm going to be kicking off a new series on Easter Sunday as well. It's called Irresistible, it's based on some stuff that uh, Andy Stanley has put together, but it's based on really a simple premise. The resurrection, I mean, we just heard a story of the resurrection. Don't you imagine that Martha and Mary and the disciples' lives changed forever after witnessing a resurrection? Well, that's exactly what happened with the early church. After Jesus was resurrected, the the early church, it changed the entire future of the early church. You and I are Christians today because of the events that happened immediately after the resurrection. And the church had so much momentum and energy and growth. My question is this, what happened? The church at one point was so irresistible, nobody could stay away. But it seems that as the church has gotten older, it's become more resistible. Well, what happened? What changed? Jesus is still risen, and Jesus didn't change, and God's message didn't change. So who changed? Or what changed? And we're going to talk about that beginning on Easter morning. It's going to be a four to six week series that we kick off just looking at what was it about Jesus that was so irresistible and how can the church recapture that same movement here in the 21st century. So the last thing I'm asking you to do is invite somebody to join us on Easter Sunday. Think of somebody you know, family, friends, somebody you work with, and send them a direct message on Facebook, or text them an invite, or give them a phone call, and just invite them to be with us on Easter Sunday. We want to have a huge celebration together next Sunday at 930. So. That's some ways that we can make that more memorable. Oh, one more, our Easter offering. I'm going to email you that today. So remember, subscribe to the emails. I'm going to tell you what we're going to do with our Easter offering, and I'll email that to you uh, as soon as we're done here. So listen, I hope you have a great rest of the day. I really appreciate you coming and being a part of our worship. Uh, on this Sunday morning, and uh, I hope you have a great week. Our prayers are with you. Uh, Don't forget to reach out to us, you know, Murray Hills Family, Murray Hills Kids, Murray Hills Student Ministry, all those groups on Facebook. We're trying to stay connected to you, but uh, have a great rest of the day with your family.